0: I was very young when my father first gave me Oliver Sacks' book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat to Read. I don't remember my exact age, might have been like 10 or 11, but I remember that the book had a, a really big impact on me. When you're young, and probably also when you're not young, it's pretty normal, I think, pretty common to see ourselves as being mostly in control of what we do, of what we think, and of thinking about perception, thinking about our phenomenological view of the world as emanating from something objective, from objective reality. We tend to think of our internal experience as like a a faithful depiction, a faithful projection of the objective world, of objective reality. But of course, all these things are not true. We are very much not in control of our thoughts and our perceptions. And so much of what we perceive is, is constructed. It's constructed by mechanisms and cognition that happens outside of conscious thought. The titular story of the book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, is a good example of this. It's the story of this person who has perfect eyesight, who can see color, and see. he can perceive with his eyes with perfect clarity, but he misunderstands what he's seeing. And so the climactic scene is he's in the office with Dr. Oliver Sacks and his wife, and he can see, and he sees his wife, but he thinks that his wife is his hat, and so he tries to put her, uh, reach for her as if he's going to put her on his head. Another story from that book that stayed with me, and I will link to this essay, which is available online, is called Witty Ticky Ricky. And it's a story of a person who suffered, suffers from severe debilitating Tourette's, extreme violent tics, verbal ejaculations that he can't control. And it was so extreme that he was unable this character was unable to hold down a job. In that essay, Oliver Sacks writes about how unknown this diagnosis was, this syndrome was. Certainly for this person, Ricky, this patient, for him being able to learn about what he has, about what causes him, neurologically speaking, to have these tics was a huge sense of comfort and relief for him. Samuel Johnson, suffered from Tourette's, and maybe some OCD as well. And it's one of those things that seems to really fascinate James Boswell when he writes his biography. And throughout the book, he gives florid descriptions and in-depth analysis of the way he understands and describing Samuel Johnson's tics and his Tourette's and his OCD and throughout the book i get this really strong sense that samuel johnson is like this case study for boswell he's constantly like pushing samuel johnson's buttons he's constantly interrogating him and trying to learn from him and try to figure out what does this man know about himself about his own psychology because he's so strange to boswell there's a scene in the life of johnson where Boswell tells us that Johnson had an outburst at one of the people that they were dining with at this meal and he yells at the guy why are you asking me so many questions why are you interrogating me and we know from Boswell's private journals so we know from sources outside of Samuel's uh James Boswell's life of Samuel Johnson that the person that Johnson had that outburst at was obviously Boswell (laughs) and Boswell doesn't tell us this in the book but It was Boswell that asked these probing questions, that's trying to interrogate Samuel Johnson to understand him, to study him. And Boswell, uh, of course Samuel Johnson, got fed up with it at one point. So there are many places in this book where we get descriptions of Samuel Johnson's Tourette's. And I'm going to just cite a few of them. One in the beginning, one closer to the middle, one closer to the end, just to get a sense here. And I'm just excerpting excerpting a piece from the end of this. This is in the beginning of the book. I'm on page 84, to be precise. We get a, a lot of descriptions of his Tourette's. Boswell calls them convulsions. And in addition to these descriptions, Boswell loves to give funny stories from Johnson's life. And so one of the funniest stories that he gives that involves Johnson's Tourette's is as follows. Quote, My readers may not be displeased with another anecdote communicated to me by the same friend from the relation of Mr. Hogarth. Here we go. Johnson used to be a pretty frequent visitor at the house of Mr. Richardson. Mr. Hogarth came one day to see Richardson, soon after the execution of Dr. Cameron for having taken arms for the House of Stuart in 1745 to 46. And being a warm partisan, of George II, he observed to Richardson that certainly there must have been some very unfavorable circumstances lately discovered in this particular case, which had induced the king to approve an execution for rebellion so long after the time when it was committed, as this had the appearance of putting a man to death in cold blood, and was very unlike his majesty's usual clemency. While he was talking, he perceived a person standing at a window in the room, shaking his head, and rolling himself about in a strange, ridiculous manner. He concluded that he was an idiot, whom his relations had put under the care of Mr. Richardson as a very good man. To his great, (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing because I know what's gonna happen, it's very funny. To his great surprise, however, the figure stalked forwards to where he and Mr. Richardson were sitting and all at once (laughs) took up the argument and burst out into an invective against George II as one who upon all occasions was unrelenting and barbarous, mentioning many many instances, particularly that when an officer of high rank had been acquitted by a court-martial, George II had with his own hands struck his name off the list. In short, he displayed such a power of eloquence that Hogarth looked at him with (laughs) with astonishment and actually imagine that this idiot had been, <laughs> at the moment, inspired. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'm sorry that I'm laughing. Ugh. End quote. It gives you a taste of uh, Boswell's, Boswell's sense of humor, I guess. B- but also there's this theme of um, sort of making fun of Johnson for his tics. There's, there's sort of jokes at Johnson's expense to some extent. Um, And an example of that we'll see here in the second excerpt from a little later in the book. Quote, Talking to himself was indeed one of his, namely Samuel Johnson's, singularities ever since I knew him. I was certain that he was frequently uttering pious ejaculations, for fragments of the Lord's Prayer have been distinctly overheard. His friend, Mr. Thomas Davies, of whom Churchill says that Davies hath a very pretty wife, when Doctor Johnson muttered, "Lead us not into temptation," used with waggish and gallant humor to whisper to Mrs. Davies, "You, my dear, are the cause for this." And so, of course, um, that's, an, that's another joke at Johnson's expense, there uh, he had another particularity of which none of his friends ever ventured to ask an explanation. And I just want to underscore that line because it, it highlights the fact that Boswell is looking for explanations but he's also walking on eggshells around Johnson and he knows there's limits to what he can ask about but he, he's curious about. It appeared to me some superstitious habit which he had contracted early and from which he had never called upon his reason to disentangle him. This was his anxious care to go out or in at a door or passage by a certain number of steps from a certain point, or at least so as that either his right or his left foot should constantly make the first actual movement when he came close to the door or passage. And then he gives uh, examples of these times where Johnson would go through a door but be dissatisfied and go back and then have to do it again. So, of course, it's like a kind of OCD. One last quote, closer to the end of the book, but there are anecdotes like this sort of, Uh, Sprinkled throughout, Boswell will go on these digressions where he's just sort of listing like aphorisms, like things that Dr. Johnson says, like these little bits of wisdom, one by one. So here we go. He said, Boswell says that Dr. Johnson, so this is Dr. Johnson, he said, a man should pass a part of his time with the laughers, by which means anything ridiculous or particular about him might be presented to his view and corrected. So basically what Samuel Johnson is saying is that you should go to a comedy club and get roasted by a stand-up comic. You should have things pointed out to you. You should be made fun of, basically, so that things that are funny about you can be corrected. Boswell editorializes. He writes, I observed he must have been a bold laugher who would have ventured to tell Dr. Johnson of any of his particularities. So Possible comments that not everybody is gonna be so bold as to tell Dr. Johnson all the things that are strange about him. And then we get this footnote, which is so cool. When a very young girl struck by his extraordinary motions, said to him, pray, Dr. Johnson, why do you make such strange gestures? From bad habit, he replied, do you, my dear, take care to guard against bad habits? End quote. At the end of that essay, uh, Witty Ticky Ricky by uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks, he describes how uh, he was able to prescribe uh, some medication, which limited, eliminated the, the most severe tics from this patient, which in a lot of ways was a positive because it allowed him to uh, hold down a job and, and be less of a I, th- I think there's a line in there like the, the village clown or something uh, I guess less of a point of ridicule among some people. But Dr. Oliver Sacks describes in the essay how there was something lost when Ricky was on this medication and there was a, it was sad, it was hard to be on this medication because his his wit his wittiness his creativity was all muted was all depressed and this character this person this patient Ricky was a drummer and he could still drum on the medication but his creative outbursts and his uh, amazing virtuosic spontaneous performances that he used to be able to do he wasn't able to do on the medication and so Dr. Oliver Sacks ends the essay with this sort of meditation on what what is health. And he has a quote from Nietzsche in there. What does it mean to be healthy? Because things that are hard, things that are painful, can also be healthy. It's not just absence of hardship, absence of pain. And I think if there's any, if we're going to be very generous to Boswell, and if there's any sort of kind of psychological insight in this book, it might be the sense in which you can't really divorce Johnson's Tourette's from Johnson the Mind. I don't know. That's just a thought uh, to leave you with and and to think about, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Just a thought. Uh, Thanks for watching.